0: Have you ever been around people, I'm, I'm sure none of us do this, but, but they kind of miss the forest for the trees a lot, right? My kids do this a lot, okay? So like for us, I don't know how it is if you have children in your house, but there's two things that essentially can uh, make good behavior happen. Screen time or sugar. And... So, you essentially, the first, I don't remember, however many years of your life, are giving these rewards for good behavior. That essentially feels like what parenting is. Uh, and at some point, the, the hope is that you'll, they'll, the kids will move beyond sugar and screen time as a reward for doing good and that they'll recognize that this is a good thing to do and I'm just going to do it. Right? This is like, this is like, the dream is as a parent is that one day your kids are going to be free, right, to do whatever they want to do. I keep telling my son Mazes, someday you can watch and play video games as long as you want. But I hope that you'll know that there's more to life than playing video games and you'll do something else, right? This is the dream of every parent, right? That they won't just eat sugar, that they'll eat salads and apples and things like that too, and we do this in a lot of things, like that's a less, well that is a serious thing. We hope our kids do the right thing. But sometimes, I remember 2020, right, when, when there were all kinds of protests going on, uh, you know, against police brutality and, and racism and things like that. And I remember people, like friends, saying, but what about the destruction? What about the looting? And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, do you understand the main thing? Like, did did you miss, like, the point, right? Do you understand what's actually happening? Why this is happening? Because that's really important for you to understand some of the other things that are happening too. There's a time in Jesus' life where he's being followed around by Jewish leaders and these biblical scholars and and, and they're scholars of the Old Testament and they're, they're trying, it would be the Hebrew Bible at the time and our Old Testament, and they're trying to trap Jesus. And there's one more moment in time where they are quoting scripture to Jesus, which the irony, right? Like, think about that. They didn't know. <laughs> but they're quoting the scriptures to Jesus. And Jesus says this, and it's so powerful. He says in John five thirty nine, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. So you're quoting these scriptures that you think you understand, but they're actually proclaiming me, and you can't see me, right? So all that to say, that's a good, that's a good, that that preach right there, right? Like, you don't have to say much more than that. But in this story... Uh, For a very long time, I have read it and understood it a certain way. And I think that I've missed the point of this passage for a very long time. And I'm going to try to explain that to you. And I want you to to hear that. And I think it's very important to understand the main point. So this story takes place at Bethany. And based on other accounts of Mary and Martha, Bethany was not far from Jerusalem. But likely this incident did not happen in the chronological order that we, have, that we think that we have in the way that we think about things. This was probably placed right after the story of the Good Samaritan, which Emmy preached on last week, because Jesus is trying to get something across that would be easy to miss. See, the message last week was about Jesus redrawing the boundaries of God's people and sending out a clear message about how the gospel would reach those outside traditional borders, like the Samaritans. And this passage that is to follow, Jesus is going to do it again. So I've read this story my whole life. I've heard sermons preached. I've even preached sermons. I looked up an old message that I preached six or seven years ago, maybe even eight years ago, on this particular passage. And about Wednesday during the week when I was studying, I said, I think that this is not the point. Have you ever had that happen to you before? It's kind of horrifying because you, you think, oh, geez, that was a bad message. Well, I don't know if it was a bad message. It just wasn't the point. And I think that what the, the typical uh, explanation of this passage is, so let me say that to you first, is this. Jesus is explaining to us through this example of Martha and Mary that it's more valuable to be in his presence than to serve or to, to attend to other things. And though I think that there may be a hint of what to prioritize here in the text, maybe Jesus is trying to get Martha to stop worrying as much about the workload and to focus on other things. But I'm convinced that I have misunderstood this passage at the core. I don't think that's what Jesus' point is. This point is not about priorities in this particular passage. There may be others that prioritize these things. So let's look at the story a bit more. Jesus goes to, it says, Martha's house. And Martha is likely the oldest, and therefore the home is is hers, and she probably is the one that sort of runs it. And the disciples come with Jesus. And so there's lots of things to do. I mean, I don't know, have any of you ever had 12 people over to your house? Uh, that's like a little bit stressful, right? You know, you've got to feed them. You've got to have, make it comfortable. You don't want your house to be a complete disaster when they come over. And most likely, there were more than just the 12 there. Jesus typically didn't just travel with the 12. Some of the 12 had spouses. Some of the, there, were, there were sometimes 70 disciples right, that, that followed Jesus. So maybe a few more of them were there. Maybe some of them had left. We're not exactly sure who the makeup was, but there were a lot of people there. So you can imagine the excitement around hosting Jesus. And we know from the story of Lazarus that Martha recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, just as Peter had. So here she is, she's hosting the Messiah, right? There's a lot of pressure to that. At least you, anybody with any sort of like recognition of what's going on, you would feel pressure. I don't know, I think that I might tidy up a bit if Jesus was coming to my house today, right? I mean, just might clean the bathroom a little bit more. The normal. (laughs) So she's feeding all these people. It's probably been very stressful. And culturally, it would have fallen upon her and the other women of the house to provide significant hospitality, which included cooking. And Martha likely thrived in this role and had a plan for this whole time. But she needed Mary's help. So Martha's in the kitchen. Can you just imagine it? You know how it is, right? When someone's not helping you and you need help, right? You start like, kind of like banging the pots around. Like, hey, wake up in the other room, right? Like, I imagine like slinging pots and pans around. And my trick is this. I'll do this. I'll kind of, like give a big sigh. Like, Hey. Over here, it's a little stressful, right? The, the, the trick now that we have these smartphones or even cell phones in general is we just text each other. And Sarah's text to me when she's mad, or I probably would do the same thing. But hers is, "What are you doing?" question mark And it's like sometimes even capitalized. "What are you doing?" Get in here and help me, right? And you you can imagine Martha in the kitchen thinking, what is my sister doing? We're hosting Jesus, right? We're hosting the disciples. I'm in here all by myself trying to make this work. So no doubt Martha is stressed. But I think that she might be stressed by more than just the crowd, I think she might be stressed by more than just not having enough help. Because, and this doesn't come to our attention right away, because it's just not the context that we live in today. But Mary, in this context, is acting like a man. Let me explain. See, in that culture, and in many parts of the world today, Houses were divided into a male space and a female space. And male and female roles were strictly demarcated. Mary had crossed an invisible but very important boundary within the house and another equally important boundary within the social world that she lived in. See, this big room where Jesus was sitting with his other disciples would be where the men would meet. And I know that sounds... Terrible, right? But this is the reality, right? This is what Martha knows to be true. And nobody really argued about this in the first century. It was just understood. In the places, other parts of the house, the kitchen, an outdoor area was where the women could be, where the children played, women could be, and men would join them in that public space. But there wasn't this intermingling in the same way that we may expect and have in our, our houses, hopefully today. For women to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. Who did she think she was? Only a shameless woman would behave in such a way. And this wasn't such an issue, like sometimes we'd think, oh, that is just terrible. It wasn't about superiority and inferiority as much, Though sometimes people certainly perceived it and applied it that way. It was more of a matter of what was thought to be appropriate and the division of the genders at that time. Men wouldn't even talk to women in public. I mean, things were just different, right? So Mary had crossed the line spiritually, culturally, socially because she had crossed into a space that belonged in that context in that time to men. Do you see the shock? No, you probably don't, right? It doesn't really hit home. Like you read this passage and any pretty in the first century would have read it and they would have been like, Mary was where? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Who does she think she is? And it just is hard for me because I think that this is at the the core what Jesus is getting at here, but we've changed it because it doesn't really fit. Everyone's like, of course she can go and be there. Of course she can be there. But do you understand how radical this is? There would have been so much tension. Girls didn't even get a formal education at the time. The Mishnah, which kind of explains the law, said that a man giving his daughter a knowledge of the law would be as as if the person was teaching her an offensive sexual desire. Isn't that insane? But yes, this is what was taught. Women's opinions and status in the culture were valued a little more than children. So Mary isn't just in the wrong space, but in the wrong posture as well. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, that may be odd to us. No one really, like, I'm not sitting here, and you're not you know, sitting on the ground next to me, but this is a common posture of somebody that would be a teacher of that day, a rabbi, that their followers, that their disciples would come and sit at their feet in order to listen, and the goal of sitting at the rabbi's feet was different than what we might think. We, we might think, oh, we're, they're, they're worshiping him as sort of like this the, the God in the flesh. Well, they, they probably didn't have like that full understanding as of yet. They were there listening to Jesus because they wanted to be teachers too. The goal of being a disciple wasn't just to receive knowledge. It was so that you could then become a teacher or become a rabbi. Paul was on this process. We see in the New Testament as well. That he was on the the trajectory to, to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, so that then he would have disciples. And then those disciples would have their disciples, right? So Mary is in the wrong space, in the wrong posture, because women were not allowed to be rabbis. Women were not allowed to be teachers. So sitting at someone's feet may give us a weird picture, because we don't do that today. It's not this dog-like posture, like I said, or a person, this person was a rock star, so we we're sitting at their feet. She wasn't sitting there gazing up adoringly and thinking about how wonderful Jesus was. He was trying to learn because she believed and she understood the kingdom of God to be a place that it was her responsibility to proclaim it just like everybody else. And that was very radical. Radical. Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. And I know that that doesn't seem radical to you, but do you understand how many social barriers and boundaries Jesus is breaking down? In the same way that he says the Samaritan is the one that understands what it means to be a good neighbor and how shocking and offensive that would have been to the Jewish people of that time, Jesus again is saying to you that this woman now is, she understands the kingdom of God and that she's going to be a proclaimer of it. Martha sees this. She's frustrated Mary is not helping her. She's frustrated that Mary doesn't understand the right boundaries. She understands she doesn't understand her role. She doesn't understand to to get it up in the kitchen and help. And, And beyond that, Jesus ought to know, Right? Jesus ought to know that Mary needs to come and help. But Jesus affirms Mary's right to be right where she is. That she has chosen correctly. That she has chosen the good portion as it says in certain translations. I don't know about you but uh, you ever get put in a spot like like Martha just put Jesus in? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're assuming that you're right and the other person's in the room that you're going to confront and they're like, hey, Jesus, you, you, hey, you be the judge. Mary, you're making, tell her, tell her how wrong she is, right? Like, that's, that's a tough spot to be in. <laughs> and Jesus is dealing with it profoundly. Now, it would be easy to take what's being shared today one of two ways. One would be to say this, Dave, we know this. Thanks for taking 30 minutes to tell us something that is obvious. Right? Women are equal to men. Women are needed in the kingdom of God. Women are needed to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We got it. All right? We wouldn't be coming to this church if you didn't think that we had a place at the table. Right? If we didn't believe that we were equal. If you didn't believe that we had God's power and authority to proclaim the good news. And the second way, so I don't want you to take it that way because I think that would be an easy way to take it. But the second way to take it would be to kind of take take this and to say to yourself, yeah, that's right. And let me tell you the rest of my uh, political agenda for gender equality and and all these other things. Now that's not a bad, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think we're like, we're missing it, right? This is not just like a political statement by Jesus that's supposed to be applied to us today. It could be. It could be part of it. But I think we have to understand, like, let, let me just like, think a little bit more broadly about this. Think about what's happening in the moment and how this applies to us, us today a little bit more. <clears throat> I think that in our context today, the Bible is seen as oppressive to women. And certainly there are examples of how in the ancient Near East, in the first century, uh, people were treated, treated women horribly. And I just explained to you how they were, they were treated. And uh, if Jesus is the very word of God, uh, we would say this is a profound passage to declare that, that that's actually not true. Jesus is the very word of God. So this passage and others show what God really thinks. And I would just say this thousands of years before the discussion even began about women's rights, Jesus was putting women on an equal level with men as disciples. How profound is that? That is profound. That is profound. This wasn't even a conversation. He was uh, taking a stand that was so backwards for his time that people would have laughed or even worse, become furious. No man, I I, I mean, I think I can say this, no man on the planet at the time of Jesus believed that women could be a rabbi. And absolutely no one had the guts or authority to put into, into practice. To be blunt, you most almost certainly wouldn't have been on the side of Jesus on this. Okay? Let me just say this. I don't care how progressive you think you are, how smart you think you are. You would have uh, adhered to that, that cultural norm that was there. Jesus was the one that was breaking that and breaking down those barriers. So that's not, let's be a little humble, right, with ourselves and what that means for us today. Being humble enough to admit this allows us to actually learn and grow what we take for granted Jesus provided a way for and is deeply, deeply Christian. Don't miss how Jesus elevates the position of people like women and prostitutes and the sick and Samaritans and more. And so this goes beyond gender here. This goes beyond what Jesus is doing in the kingdom of God. Okay, and this is what I think you could take those first two points and it has some, there's some there's a validity to them and, and, and good emphasis and good application. But this is bigger than just men and women. It's bigger than just Jew and Samaritan and the, the passage before this. Jesus is expressing to us the valuation of each human being that's not based on just um, like some sort of ideals that we have created in our society. To fight against a curtain cultural debate. He's simply trying, he's not trying to have a, a fight about human rights here, but about the overwhelming love of God and the kingdom of God that's coming, that breaks down these barriers. It's like a river that overflows and breaks through the banks and goes into this like barren and dry land and gives it life. Mary stands for all the women and all the other perceived outsiders or those that are unfit for these traditional roles who when they hear Jesus speaking about the kingdom know that God is calling them to listen carefully so that they can speak too. Do you see? It's not just this this men and women thing. I think what Jesus is trying to say is like all these barriers that we put up about who can be part of the kingdom of God and therefore who can proclaim the kingdom of God are being reorchestrated in my time right now. The boundaries with who can be saved, who's in and who's out, who can access this and who can access that, are breaking down right in front of your faces. And he does this not just in this situation or the Samaritan. He does it when he, when he like goes to the temple, right? And messes with, turns over the tables of the money changers and says that this is the house, like a house for prayer. This is when he goes to the Gentile nations, right? And in in, in his ministry, and proclaims the good news of Jesus. Jesus is doing this over and over again. He's saying the kingdom of God is available to those people we traditionally say are outsiders. And so I want to say just a couple places of, of application in addition to what we just talked about. So this passage is more than just a passage about taking action in service or worship. I think that that is a mistake. I'm not sure I would even stand for those sort of categories. Like, because action, service, like that Martha is doing, is worship. Do you guys believe that? Like, it's not just sitting before Jesus and and praying or worshiping, but when we serve coffee to people, when we care about other people, that is worship in action. We are worshiping Jesus in that moment. So those barriers don't even necessarily fit. And to be honest, like, both are important, right? What Martha's doing, um, if if she wasn't doing it, you wouldn't eat. And with a second, you wouldn't have those intimate moments with Jesus. So I think that this passage is not necessarily, though I think we could make some sort of application about what's important, but I think that this is primarily about boundary breaking call of Jesus into his kingdom. Jesus leaves behind him towns and villages and households and individuals who have glimpsed a new vision of the kingdom and for whom life will never be the same again. And I, I, I pray that that's true of us too. I think the second thing that this can speak to, there's two other, and these are not the main points. So that was the main point. I'm going to give you two minor points of this passage and then be done. I think the passage can also speak about Martha's complaint with Mary. Part of Martha's problem was that she was worried too much about what Mary was doing. In asking Jesus to enter into a complaint, she assumed that her evaluation of Mary's understanding was right. And Jesus' refusal to endorse Martha shows that although she was doing valuable work, she should worry less about Mary's choices. We forget, as I said earlier, that Jesus is put on the spot here. Martha walks up and says, "Jesus, tell her I'm right." I hate that <laughs> people do that to you, to me sometimes. And I'm just like, ah, like don't don't put me in that spot. And Jesus does it. He doesn't need him. He doesn't care, right? He's just like, fine, I right, I will. Martha, Martha, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a loving way of saying, Martha, Martha, you are missing it. And I think part of it is that he's just trying to say to her, stop worrying so much about what Mary's doing. Worry about yourself. And it doesn't give us the, the person that's in sin, like a, they're not right. For, but like sometimes we just get so caught up in what other people are doing, right? It's like the big old plank in your eye. My point is that, community, that a community that suffocates, oh, sorry, a community suffocates, when all its energy is spent being an assessment agency for one another. And the third thing, the final like minor application to this passage. He says to Martha these words. You are worried and upset about many things. Sounds like me. I'm worried and upset about so many things. This is a story of us, is it not? Jesus goes on to say, but few things are needed. As a matter of fact, only one. He doesn't even say what that one thing is. (laughs) And so I I actually think this application is that he's saying, uh, you're you're worried about everything. Like, just only a few things are needed. And Some people think he's actually just talking about the meal. Like, you're making all this stuff, but we just need a couple things. In fact, we probably just need one thing. Because what we're doing in here as me teaching to these potential teachers and rabbis that are playing the kingdom of God is the point of all of this anyways. So Jesus is trying to say to her, you're so upset and you're so worried about so many things. And I just want to say today that I think that the discipleship in Jesus can actually be a lot simpler than sometimes we make it to be. Now, I, I think there's good, we, we should seek to understand things, we should have discussions about stuff, we should have heart, but like, I think Jesus is just saying like, just like, it's okay, right? Mary has chosen the good portion. Things can be simpler. So I would encourage us, like, what if we were a community that understood this passage in the way that I think Luke intends to put it in the section with the Samaritan uh, passage right before it, and what Jesus is saying is to understand that the kingdom of God is open. God's saving work is available to people that we like to, to keep boundaries on and out. And as Jesus being our rabbi, right, our, our role is to sit at his feet so that we then can go proclaim that good news to our world and around us. And that we don't need to be like Martha in this passage that is, 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 is so concerned about what Mary's doing. And so concerned about every little thing and and so worried about everything that's happening and that we can rest and trust in the good portion that Jesus provides. Amen.